Good morning, everyone. My name is Josiah Boyd. It's good to be with you here today. I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario, one of your many sister churches out east. And I was told to bring you greetings from our church and specifically from uh, Dr. Jim Rennie is one of the elders that serves alongside me at our church. And he's been here apparently a number of times uh, speaking as well. So greetings from them. I just thank you for our brother's comments at the table today. It's such a good reminder that even though we've never met before, we have so much more in common that we have than what we have that divides us. We have so much more in common in the, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation we anticipate and the rest that we anticipate. We'll spend eternity together because of that. And that's such a great reminder when you visit new churches where you don't know faces, you don't know the people, and yet you realize we have so much we can celebrate. So I, I always thank you for that reminder. Thank you to Rich and the other elders for the invitation to come and worship with you with my family. And it's great to hear that noise of kids. Well, you guys are blessed here that the rumbling and the yelling and yelping we felt very at home we felt very comfortable there's not many churches we come to where we don't feel uh, nervous and anxious that we're disturbing everything we felt very at home here so thank you for that if you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning i'll invite you to turn with me to ecclesiastes chapter 5 book of ecclesiastes chapter 5. leonardo da vinci's mona lisa is obviously one of the most well-known pieces of art in the world. And yet, if you've ever seen it, whether in person or in a photograph, you'll know that it is hung on a pretty drab tan wall in a mostly empty room. And when that was originally the case, when that presentation was originally selected, it was intentional because they thought we didn't want museum fatigue to factor in. When our patrons came th through the museum and they saw all these exhibits, then they come to the Mona Lisa, we wanted them to be free from all of those distractions might pull away from this masterpiece. Now in 2017, this was far before then, but in 2017, a study came out that actually vindicated that original decision. And this is what the study found. It said that appreciating beauty actually takes conscious thought. And therefore, distracting a person can prevent them from fully taking in the work of art before them. And so in other words, beauty is best enjoyed when there's nothing around to steal attention away from what you're supposed to be focused on. That was what the study found. And that's why the simplicity of presentation was so important for the Mona Lisa. They wanted nothing pulling away or distracting from this masterpiece before them. And this morning, we're going to find that and we already know intuitively that what's true of art and what we're talking about here is true in life as well. Life as God has given it to each of us is a gracious gift. It is a thing of beauty to be enjoyed and appreciated. And yet distractions are always lurking in our lives. Distractions starting to pull our attention away from what, what really matters and what truly fulfills and what eternally satisfies we want to be a people that appreciates the masterpiece before us and doesn't allow our gaze to be distracted or that museum fatigue to set in so that we can't enjoy what is before us. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, our text that we're looking at today, the teacher is going to help us avoid that museum fatigue a little bit, that museum fatigue of life, so that we can better enjoy the beauty of life, the life that God has given us to enjoy and to revel in and to celebrate. And so that's what the teacher is going to help us to do. And he's going to help us do that by two two steps that we're going to observe in this text. First, he's going to warn us of a potential distraction. This is something we need to avoid. That's trying to pull our gaze, our attention away from the masterpiece. And then after he's warned us about that, he's going to direct our gaze to the masterpiece itself. Now, as I said, the teacher begins with a warning, right, of what not to focus on in life. And that's where we're going to start. And the distraction he's going to warn us about 
is as enticing as, as it is perennial. Every generation, every group of people on every continent in every era struggles with this same distraction, threatening to pull our eyes and our attention away from the masterpiece of life that God has given us. And that is the distraction of money and riches and materialism. It is threatening to pull our attention away from what truly matters. Essentially, when we come to this text, the, the teacher is going to say, if you want to enjoy the beauty that is life, if you want to get the most out of it, if you want to revel in its significance, he starts by saying, don't focus on stuff. Don't focus on stuff. That's what we're going to find. So let's read the first eight verses of this text in Ecclesiastes chapter five, starting in verse 10. This is what the teacher says. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils after the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. To enjoy the beauty of life, the teacher says, don't focus on stuff, on money, on toys, houses, comfort, travels, riches, etc., etc., etc. Don't be distracted by that. And we would say, why? Well, he answered that in that text, didn't he? First, because that pursuit is, according to the teacher, vanity. He says that right in verse 10. This too is vanity. And this point of your study, as you've gone through Ecclesiastes for a number of weeks, you're familiar with that term. One person I read this week says that the idea of vanity, it goes through Ecclesiastes like a held organ note in the background, all the way through. He tackles other issues and other topics, but in the background, he always comes back to that organ note, vanity, vanity, futility, vanity, and in this text, in the context of talking about money, we need to be very clear that we're not talking about money being useless, right, or, or meaningless. That's not what he's saying here at all. What he's saying is that the pursuit is, is vaporous. It's vapid. There's, there's nothing to it. It's like, it's like fleeting and flighty and unsus, uns, unsubstantial. That's what the pursuit of money is. It's not meaningless, as we'll see. It's not useless. Money is a gift from the Lord, but the pursuit of it as the focus of life is like trying to catch steam from a kettle. You just can't do it. it. It's gone before you get your hands around it. It's vaporous. In fact, in the second half of verse 11, he says rhetorically, he asks the question, so what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? And the anticipated answer is there is no advantage to it. There's no advantage at all. A life that focuses its attention on the accumulation of stuff is vaporous. It's like chasing the wind. Again, at verses 15 and 16, it says, as he came naked from his mother's womb, so he will return after he came. In verse 16, this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. It's been oftentimes observed that you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You've heard that before. Why? Because you can't take it with you. There's nothing you can do. You can't take it with you. And so the, a life that is focused on accumulation of stuff, it is futility. It doesn't make any sense. It's something that distracts us from what really matters. And it's a fickle distraction at that. 
But the teacher doesn't stop there. I mean, he's talking about don't be distracted by the pursuit of stuff. He says, one, because it's vaporous. He doesn't stop there. Secondly, he says, because it produces discontentedness. Verse 10, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. There's no satisfaction there. Nor he who loves abundance with its income. In verse 11, when good things increase, those who consume them also increase. You'll notice there he says, when good things increase. There we go. Money is not necessarily bad. They are good things. It's not money and stuff that is essentially evil. It's the pursuit of it. It's the focus on it that is harmful that the teacher is warning about. And, and we know, as you've been through Ecclesiastes, that the teacher knows something about having stuff. Right? He had a lot of stuff. So he's speaking from experience and inspired by the Holy Spirit and saying, no, it brings discontentedness because with an increased income comes an increased appetite and increased expenses. You can never be fully satisfied because focusing on stuff leads to discontentedness. He's just warning. So it's vaporous and it leads to discontentedness. It also leads to restlessness. Verse 12, the sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Whether that's because his belly's so full, he's rolling over in his bed, he can't get comfortable, or it's because his mind is consumed with thinking about how do I grow this empire? And protect this empire. Whatever the case may be, it's stealing sleep from him. It's restlessness. And then verse 17 is especially dark. Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. It's restlessness. There's nothing that satisfies him. It's restless. And finally, focusing on stuff leads to times of helplessness, he concludes. Verses 13 and 14 says, There's a grievous evil which I've seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt, when those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, a dependent, someone who, who depended upon him to provide for him, when he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. He's saying this focus on, on money as the foundation for his life, when it time comes when he has a dependent and he loses it, because that sometimes happens, right? He loses this thing he's dependent on, he can't support anyone. My mind immediately goes to, my brother took us to Matthew, and I think of, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the closing illustration of Jesus' sermons where he talks about a, a wise man and a poor man building their houses. Remember this? And when the wise man built his house upon rock and the and a, a foolish man built his house upon sand. Storms came in both their lives. But the one who built his life upon the truth of God's word, it withstood, it withstood the storm. The other one collapsed. And here the teacher is basically saying, if you build your life on the sand of stuff, when the storms come and come, they will. Don't be surprised when it all collapsed and you were left with a helplessness, a hollowness. So according to the teacher here, this is what can happen when we, we become distracted in life by the vaporous pursuit of material things. They're not bad in and of themselves, but when they become the focus, that's when it becomes dangerous. When we make money, riches, or savings our goal, when it consumes our time, our energy, our thoughts, our schemes, our waking moments, when it's what we dream about, we are inviting discontentedness, restlessness, and times of helplessness. If you think about it, it's the exact opposite of a beautiful and enjoyable life. So he says, don't focus on stuff. Don't do it, he says. A while back, I was having a conversation with a friend who was just a few years out of university and had been serving and working in a pretty high-paying, prestigious field and we were chatting about what life had been like as he transitioned from the poverty of student life to this new uh, affluence he had found and we are talking back and forth about it and the lessons he had learned and at one point in the conversation he looked at me straight face with all sincerity and a matter of fact tone just said you know money just solves all the life's problems 
And I paused and, I, and we, I kind of let that go and it surprised me for a moment. Really? I didn't, that kind of shocked me until I realized that if they, whether they say it or not, most people probably believe that. That money solves problems, that life is better with money. If you want a good life and you don't want problems, chase that money. That is kind of the MO of our culture, the default operating mode of our culture. Whether we voice it or even understand it or not, that's what our culture preaches. You know, we live in a culture that is built atop the rat race. Right? Climb your way to the corporate ladder, that, cor uh, that corner office. Make something of yourself. There's this constant pushing that our culture is built upon. And it's permeated by an advertising conglomerate that is telling us, here are the things that will fulfill your life. These things, if you buy our product, they will make your life better. They will make your life more meaningful. This will make you who you want to be. And on and on it goes. We are just inundated with messages like that. And we, as a culture, idolize and platform and listen to people oftentimes for no other reason than because they're rich. So some of the people that are on the news or that get uh, interviewed on, online or whatever the case may be, sometimes you're wondering, why am I listening to this person? They, but because they're wealthy, the world thinks they must have something figured out. They must have cracked the code. They must have solved the Rubik's Cube of life because they're wealthy. And that means that they've got something to teach me. See, this is the culture saying that this is the pursuit of fulfillment in life. This, what the teacher is telling us is a distraction. The culture threatens to pull it up into the frame before us. Our world preaches a gospel of the dollar and salvation through faith and cash. That's what it is. Whether we're aware of it or not, the distraction of stuff is all around us and trying to pull our attention away from what really matters, even in the church. It's constantly whispering in our ears, look over here, look over here. Ignore the masterpiece before you, look over here. This deserves attention as well. Well, what really matters? So it's pulling our attention away from what really matters and that's the question that the teacher answers next. Where should we be looking? If it's not stuff, then what is it? And after warning his readers not to focus on stuff in this text, he now instructs them to focus on station. Not stuff, but on station, on where you are in life, where God has you in life. Focus on that, not on the stuff, but on station. Look at verse 18 to the end of the chapter here. The teacher continues, here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. You'll notice as we come to verse 18, all of a sudden God shows up in this text. He hasn't been around for the first eight verses. There's no mention of God. And then as we come to these final three verses, he's mentioned four times. He just pops up. It's like, as you've noticed in this series, the teacher is, is presenting life under the sun. And now he lifts our eyes to life over the sun. And God is there. Lo and behold, there's where God is. So God shows up in these three verses. And the teacher is saying, look up. This, the, the, the work of art is not below the sun, it is above the sun. And with God now present in these three verses, the teacher calls us to focus not on stuff, but on station. Because after all, where we are in life, whatever that looks like for us, is a gift from God. He says that several times, it is a gift from God. Right? He says it in verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. This is his reward. This is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. God has given us rich and wealth. It's all from God. And so when we focus on where the Lord has us, 
we actually understand that it's all from him. To go through life focused on stuff is to chase something that comes and goes, something temporal, a potential byproduct of what really matters. But when we focus on our station where God has us in the moment, whatever that looks like, and the tasks he's given us to do, and when we submit ourselves to the sovereign care to him who is above the sun, the beauty of life is most enjoyed and most appreciated. It's a perspective shift that we're being invited to as God's people. And in fact, the text shows us that this brings true celebration. I don't know if you noticed that as we read, but several times he talks about enjoying oneself, enjoying oneself. We get to enjoy what God has given us. It's true celebration. When we live lives focused on what is above the sun and the station God has given us, we actually get to enjoy. It brings celebration, true celebration. It also brings appreciation. He says in verses, eight, in verses 18 and 19, for this is his reward. And then in verse 19, this is the gift of God. See, when we focus on the station God has put us in and not the stuff, there's no confusion over who to thank. You know, when, when I focus on the things I'm chasing and the empire I'm building, what I can accumulate, at the end of the day, even as a, a person who's trying to follow Christ and give thanks to God, at the end of the day, I have to say, okay, what came from God and what came from me? Like, I accumulated this. I worked hard. I sacrificed for these things. But if we are focused on just our station, where God has us, what he has endowed us with, what calling he's given to us, it's very clear that our, appreci our appreciation is always directed above the sun. There's no competition there. So focusing on our station, not stuff, it brings celebration and appreciation. And finally, it brings satisfaction. I just love verse 20. Verse 20 is such a great summary of this otherwise kind of dark section of scripture. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Life is short. And yet the brevity of life doesn't bother someone who's focused on the beauty of the gift of life because they're too busy enjoying it. They're too busy enjoying it. It flies by and you just enjoy what God has given us. And that's satisfaction that money can't buy. So life under the sun is one that focuses on stuff. We've seen that. It's a vaporous pursuit that brings the opposite of what's really desired. You know, it brings discontentedness and restlessness and helplessness. The teacher provides a better option. Life above the sun, one that's focused on station where the Lord has us, our God-given lot in life, and it brings true celebration, appreciation, and satisfaction. Now, this raises a question for us. What is our lot in life? If we're to focus on our station, what is our station in life? And what if I don't really like my station? What if the teacher is calling us, don't focus on stuff, but focus on what God has given you in life. And you're sitting there saying, okay, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to be thankful for. I don't really like where the Lord has me at this moment. Well, this is where we need to elevate our thinking above just our material situation. Those are important, but we're going to lift our minds above that just for a moment here. I understand that in this series you're going through, you're in conversation looking at Ecclesiastes and Colossians, right? Back and forth. So I want to go to Colossians just for a moment to give us a brief overview and a reminder of our station in life. This is what's true of us as believers, regardless of what our actual in-person circumstances look like. Whether you like your circumstances or not, whether you're content or not, here are our truths. This is what's true of us who have trusted in Christ for eternal life. I'm just going to fly over this. This will sound very familiar to a lot of you who have read the book, but here's just a sample. I skimmed through this the other day. Here are the things I pulled up. This is true of every single one of us who has trusted Christ. Right now, this is our station in life. We are all future inhabitants of an eternal kingdom of life right now. That's your station and my station. 
I am a future inhabitant of an eternal kingdom of light. That's in chapter 1, verse 13 of Colossians. Right now, we stand redeemed and forgiven. Right now, every one of us, where we stand right now, redeemed and forgiven perfectly. 1, verse 14. In Christ, we're reconciled to a holy God, blameless beyond reproach. Can you even fathom that? Like after the week I've had, I think back over the week, I'm like, that was far less than blameless. I'll, I'll just be honest, not blameless. And yet Paul says in the, in the letter to, Col- to the Colossians, right now I stand blameless before a holy God because of Christ Jesus. That's my station right now and your station as well. Chapter two, verse 10, we are complete in Christ. I don't feel very complete, but that's what it, what it says. We have been buried and raised up with Christ. 2 verse 12. We have been freed from the penalty of death. 2 verse 14. We are part of a body. 2 verse 19. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are grafted into the body of which Christ is the head. Chapter 3 verse 3. We are secure in Christ. You and I right now secure in Christ Jesus. Nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand. He's put his pledge, his seal on us, the Holy Spirit. Nothing can steal us. Not even me. I try hard some days. Nothing can snatch me from the Father's hand. We are beloved by God, chapter 3, verse 12. There's some days, I don't know about you, I feel pretty unlovely. I feel unlovable some days. And the scriptures are very clear. For those who are in Christ, we are beloved by the creator God of the universe right now. That's our station in life. That's our reality. In chapter 4, verse 3, we are ambassadors of a saving gospel. You know, that which has saved us, we have the privilege of going out into the world to share this life-giving truth. Those are realities for us as believers right now. Over and above everything else in life, this is your station and mine as believers in Jesus Christ. So how can we focus on stuff? The question is, how can we focus on those distractions when all of that is vying for my attention? All of that is in the frame before me. Like, how can I possibly have my mind and my, my attention drawn away to just vapor when all of that is true of me right now. I'll be honest, this is a battle. Like there are days where my gaze starts to go down from the frame. I don't know about you, and it starts to drift away. And the Lord says, no, look here. Look at what is true of you right now. Look at your station, your lot in life as you stand right now, and your lot forevermore. That should pull your attention back up from the distractions. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 20, he says, if you had died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why as if you are living in the world, you submit yourself to decrees such as, and he gives examples. And for us, we could say the world is, is giving us decrees like money will fulfill you. Stuff will give you purpose. And Paul here writes, okay, if you have died with Christ, why are you allowing those decrees to dictate your life like it does for the rest of the world? In chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's an invitation to look at our station. Just look at what God has given us and focus on that. And what Paul here is teaching and modeling, going back to Ecclesiastes, that's what the teacher is calling us to as well. He's calling us to lift our minds up. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from life's beauty by stuff under the sun. Instead, focus on your station in life. As Paul says in chapter 3, verse 2 of Colossians, set your mind on things above rather than things that are on earth and celebrate God's provision and kindness. So what does that mean for us today? I think we're really being called is to focus on faithfulness to the task. We need to understand as, as people of God that faithfulness to Christ and what he's called us to do, faithfulness to the station he's given us is itself an end. That is the goal, is just faithfulness 
to Christ. We don't need an end outside of that. I just want to call, do what Christ has called me. I'm going to be faithful with the lot he's given me in life, the family he's given me, as dysfunctional as it might be, with the, the circumstances he's given me, with the job he's given me, with the friends he's given me, with the church family he's given me. I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful. Focus on that station. Be faithful in that station. And enjoy the rest of the stuff. You know, in that passage in Ecclesiastes, I love in the end, he says, those people who focus on station, they enjoy the stuff too. Like they enjoy all the gifts that God has given them. They're great things, but that comes when we focus on what God has given us. I'm convinced as I read through the New Testament, as, as people living on this side of Pentecost, this side of Acts chapter two, we are called as God's people to basically three things. We are called to worship God. We are called to build up the body of Christ, to edify believers, and we're called to share the gospel. And everything we do falls into those three categories. Everything we do as a church, to exalt Christ, to edify the body, to evangelize the lost. Those are our callings as the church. And so we just think, how can I, this week, I encourage you to ask yourself, how can I be faithful to those stations? That's what he's called me to do. And all of us have different circles of influence, different lives, different um, jobs, different school settings, different friends. But our task is all the same. We're trying to do those those three things in the station that God has given us. So ask yourself this week, how am I worshiping the Lord? That's my number one calling. Our life is to be one of worship, right? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. How am I being faithful to worship God? How do I prepare myself for corporate worship on Sunday? For some of us, like us, it's just chaos. Just get out, just get to church. And that is an act of worship, right? Just arrive, everyone's got pants on. That is huge, bro. Uh, it's not from experience, that example. But you know, like sometimes it's just that that is our act of worship. We are going to sacrifice because you know what? It's easier to stay home. It is easier to stay home. And in this day and age of live streaming and stuff like that, it wouldn't even be unfaithful, really. Like we can make the case. But what am I doing to prepare myself to worship with God's people? What am I doing to prepare myself to worship individually? I'm called to worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but all week long. How is my family worshiping? What does that look like? How can I be faithful to that station with the lot that God has given me? And how do I build up the body of Christ? That second prong. As a believer, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, given a gift to bless the body with. That's the purpose, right? It's not like hockey cards. We're not trying to collect all the gifts or anything, like just for our own collection's sake. We are, they're given to us that we can bless and build up. So how am I doing that? I just want to check this week, like how am I being focusing on my faithfulness, what God has given me? And I'm sure if you talk to Rich or the elders or someone in the church who said, I'm not sure, I want to serve the body. I'm sure they would have ideas for you. How can I plug in to use my gifts to build up the body of Christ? How am I encouraging my brothers and sisters through the week? Text message. Praying for you, praying for your sister, praying for your brother. How can I serve you? Those are ways we can build up the body of Christ and spur one another on to loving good deeds, as we're called to do. So how am I building up the body? Second act of faithfulness. How am I worshiping God? How am I building up the body? And thirdly, how am I evangelizing? You know, how am I thinking about lost people? Am I burdened for lost people? That might be just the first prayer request. Lord, I confess, I'm not that bothered by the lost people in my life. I want you to burden me for that. That might be a, an act of faithfulness. You're just How am I faithful to that calling? And then have the antenna up in my workplace, in my classroom, in my friend circles. What relationships do I have that I'm actively praying? I want to have a chance to share the reason for the hope that I have with this individual. So there's three calls that we all have. How do we focus not on stuff, but on our station? As believers, we're given very clear stations in life. However, the Lord has situated us right now. We're all called the same three things. We just got to focus on faithfulness. 
because faithfulness is its own reward, is, is its own end. And that's when we focus on that masterpiece. And that's when the teacher says, then we will enjoy all that life has. And that verse 20 is just, I love it. Life will zip by. Why? Because we're enjoying life, not because it's a grind, but because it's service to the king is the greatest type of life there is. Let me pray for us to those ends. I know it's a hard task. We need the Holy Spirit's help, but thankfully he indwells us. And he's promised to help us. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. Because all of us in here as followers of Jesus, we don't want to be sucked into materialism and the, the stuff of this world. And yet we're just so inundated by it. It's everywhere. And so we ask first and foremost that you would protect us from that idol. You'd protect us from the distraction that the enemy wants to use to pull us off target. Help us, we pray. Guard this church. Guard the homes represented here. Guard the individuals. And Father, as we successfully, by your grace, lose focus and grip on the stuff in this world, help us to focus, focus on the station where you have us. Help us to focus on the tasks you've given us and see them as the glorious entrustments that they are. We thank you so much for the greatest entrustment, which is salvation by faith in your son. We thank you for the unity we have in that. And Father, we just, we want to do your name the most glory. So help us to stay focused, we pray, and protect this church. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.